Hello there and welcome to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in South Africa and by Stuart Weir, who's currently in Qatar. On this week's show, we look at the teams that have made it to the 2016 African Nations Championship, the tournament for home-based players being held in Rwanda early next year. And we hear from one team that didn't make it, Lesotho. In Lesotho, we are purely amateur, so we don't have sponsors for, for the clubs. So it is not easy for us you know, to have the players always fit. Plus, we have the third and final part of our interview with Aaron Treadway, an American who moved from the U.S. Major League Soccer and played as a goalkeeper in three African countries. This week, he explains how footballing success failed to bring him satisfaction in life. The honest truth is that growing up, soccer, football was my god. Um, I worship football, and, and I think there are, are a lot of people who could probably share a similar story. And we catch up with the latest in the English Premier League. What is wrong with Chelsea? And Stuart begins a look at the African players in this season's UEFA Champions League. So that's all coming up on the show, but let's start with the CAF Champions League final. The first leg is on this weekend and the second leg the following weekend. And USM Alger of Algeria take on TP Mazembe of DR Congo. USM will host the first leg this weekend. Which way do you see this going, Solomon? Fresh USM Alger has really played well. In the summer final, playing nil-nil at home and then winning 2-1 away from home against Al-Hilal. Uh, and then TP Mzembe won 3-0 at home against Al-Mirek of uh, Sudan. And TP Mzembe, we've seen great goals from their Tanzanian international Mbwana Samata. But if you look at the USM, uh, Steve, uh, the USM, their best uh, previous uh, you know, achievement in the Africa Club competition was reaching the uh, 2003 semi-finals. They've never really gotten to the finals. So I see a bit of inexperience from their side. And this is a repeat of last year's, see, Steve, uh, in the final, in the sense that last year's final, we saw two teams from uh, Congo and Algeria. We saw AS Vita from Congo in the final against Atente Setif uh, from Algeria. We're seeing two teams from the same countries that played in the final last year but two different teams in this case TP Mzembe and USM and and I think it says a lot about uh, the growth of local football and also the emphasis on club football in Algeria and also in the Congo but on current form and also on reputation and experience uh, I would want to go with TP Mzembe but a lot of it would depend on how they are able to get a fair and a good result away from home in the fresh leg. But I see a final that is going to produce uh, great goals, uh, both in the fresh leg and also in the second leg. So we're really looking forward to which team is going to scoop the $1.5 million first prize. Yeah, so that's an intriguing final. I'd also fancy the four-time African champions, TP Mazembe, but uh, Algerian football definitely is on a high at the moment. So we'll see how it goes in the CAF Champions League final. 
Also this weekend, there are a couple of delayed qualifiers for the 2016 African Nations Championship, or the CHAN, the tournament for home-based players that's being held in Rwanda early next year. Most of the qualifiers were concluded last weekend, and teams that made it are Morocco, Tunisia, Guinea, Mali, Nigeria, Niger, DR Congo, Gabon, Ethiopia, Uganda, Angola, Zambia and Zimbabwe. Uh, DR Congo and Zimbabwe have qualified for all four editions of the tournament. Now, Zimbabwe knocked out Lesotho 4-2 on aggregate, and Muziwetu Hadebe spoke to Lesotho coach Sipepe Matete, who highlighted some of the challenges that the Lesotho national team faces. I think in, in the southern region here, uh, it depends on the infrastructure of the teams, mm. the management of the teams, the sponsor and you know in Lesotho we are purely amateur so we don't have sponsors for for the clubs so it is not easy for us you know to have the players always fit because if you are a professional team that means you train in the morning you train in the afternoon so we are purely amateur they are still working so they go to the pitch after working hours so the level of the fitness in our premier it's not as, as good as we are expecting. Uh, looking into the future, would you want to see that improve maybe versus uh, what you are seeing with your national team? Definitely, definitely, because uh, you, you judge your, your national team through your, your league. And if your league is performing well, that means then it's going to be easy for the national coach to select players. No, because when you are in the senior team, we don't really deal with the fitness of the players. You deal you know, on tactics, how you defend, how you attack, you know, how you grade goals, you know. But then if the players are not really fit in their clubs, that makes uh, the work of the coach very difficult because when they come, what you must do first is to make the players fit. Then they can do what you want to do. So it's a little bit uh, a problem, but I think uh, we will manage in the, in the future. That's Lesotho coach Sipepe Matete. So Solomon, Lesotho has a population of just 2 million people. They're 140 in the FIFA world rankings. And we heard there that their football has an amateur setup. So it does look like it's uh, hard for them to progress and to qualify for a major tournament. Yes, uh, Steve, it's always going to be really hard for Lesotho. They've done well in the regional championship. I think in 2000, uh, they got to the final of uh, the Kosafa Cup, which is a, a, a cup played between the nations in the Southern African region. But for us to see a transformation of the Lesotho national team, uh, the crocodiles as they call them, we need to first uh, you know, see a strong league in Lesotho. The league is still very much amateurish. Uh, they call it the Vodacom Premier League uh, with uh, 12 teams in the first league. But we, we need to be able to not just have uh, part-time footballers like we hear uh, the coach, Coach Matete, saying. Uh, I, I believe it's not a case of a lack of talent. Uh, two million people, uh, you know, and we've seen na- nations that have qualified for the Africa Cup of Nations. You know, we saw uh, Botswana just across the border from Lesotho, which has a, a smaller uh, population qualifying. Their league is, is more like semi-professional, a little bit better than Lesotho, uh, maybe because they also have a better economy. And, and I feel that in, in the near future, we might just see Lesotho turn in the tight. 
Well, thanks a lot, Solomon. And let's go to Facebook and to WhatsApp now. And uh, last week we covered the story in Zambia where football was suspended on the 18th of October for a national day of prayer. President Edgar Lungu had called for a day of forgiveness and reconciliation to be observed to combat the economic problems facing the country. The Football Association of Zambia, FAS, took the decision to suspend matches, which were then played three days later. And we asked if you agreed with FAS's decision to suspend the games for this National Day of Prayer. And this really did to grab your attention. Stephen Ojiju Oyu in Kenya contacted us on Facebook and says, Very right. God comes first above any other thing. And he says a country whose leadership honours God and appreciates his glorious work is blessed. Benson Kapenda in Lusaka, Zambia, says this was and still is a correct decision. You see, with football, we'll have it all the time, but a special day set aside for prayers was more worthy than 50 years of playing and watching fantastic football. Despite our challenges, Zambia is blessed of the Lord, big time. Aaron Catelli, also in Zambia, writes with a verse from the Bible, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, meanwhile, in last week's show, we asked her, Why is there only one African on the 23-man shortlist for the FIFA Ballon d'Or, the World Player of the Year award? That's Manchester City's Ivorian midfielder, Yaya Toure. Well, Aliou Fai from the Gambia says Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang deserves to be shortlisted for the Best Player Award. He was in contention for the BBC African Player of the Year last season and he's had a good start this season. Maybe only Robert Lewandowski has had a better start than Aubameyang in Germany and indeed throughout the top leagues in the world. And Aliou says it's time for African players to get more recognition. But uh, Greg in the Gambia says African players are average players. And Yaya Toure has been outstanding, so he deserves nomination. But he can't win because he hasn't outshone stars like Ronaldo and Messi. Bolong Baji in the Gambia says, yes, uh, Yaya deserves to be on the shortlist. He utilizes his talents well. On another note, Musa K. Turai from the Gambia says, Planet Sport Football Africa is the best sport presentation ever. Well, thank you very much for that, Musa. And he continues to say Africans are doing wonders in and around the world. Thanks so much for that, Musa, and glad to hear that you like the show. And the English Premier League continues to feature in the comments this week. And M. Cham Mesut Ozil in the Gambia says, and I doubt that's uh, his real name, but uh, he says, with their current performance against Everton, I'm wishing Arsenal to climb to the top of the table and to clinch the Premier League title with Ozil leading them to glory. And Arsenal's 2-1 win over Everton last Saturday saw them climb briefly to the top of the table before Manchester City's point in their 0-0 draw at Manchester United on Sunday saw them regain top spot. And people weren't very impressed with that derby draw. Dominic Gomez in the Gambia writes, In my opinion, this derby was the worst I've watched for many years. No entertainment, no goals, no tackles and aggressiveness from the players. The teams failed to live up to their fans' expectations and hence made it a very dull derby. And I have to agree with you there, Dominic. It was a very poor game, but Man City will probably be happier with the point than Manchester United, who could have gone top with a big win. They remain in fourth behind City, Arsenal and West Ham. 
Well, this week on Facebook and WhatsApp, uh, tell us who do you think will win the CAF Champions League? We've got the first leg of the final this weekend and the second leg the following weekend. It's USM Alger of Algeria in their first final and they take on four-time champions TP Mazembe of DR Congo. So tell us who you think will win. Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine. Double five two three two seven eight zero. We'll go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and you're always welcome to send comments on any football matters that you like. Well, thanks very much for all of those comments, and always great to hear from you. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, and we have a brand new website. It's PlanetSportFootballAfrica.com. It's designed specifically for smartphones, and you can listen to each week's current show there and find out more about us. The address: PlanetSportFootballAfrica.com. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can keep in touch with news about the program at African Football News. The Twitter handle at Planet Sport FA. Still to come on the show, a look at the Africans in the UEFA Champions League. There's Africans playing in 27 European countries: Cape Verde, Madagascar, Equatorial Guinea. We're now to the third and final part of our interview with Aaron Treadway, an American who moved from the U.S. Major League Soccer and played as a goalkeeper in three African countries: Zimbabwe, Zambia, and South Africa, before moving on to play in Asia. In the second part of our interview two weeks ago, we heard how he and some friends started up a successful club in the USA that was a bit different, called the Cleveland City Stars. All of the players had to be involved in work in underprivileged areas of their city. Treadway told Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard that he believes that football has the power to change lives and communities. You know, I've seen that all over the world, and I've certainly seen it in Cleveland. But uh, I've been very fortunate to to get to travel, to get to experience different cultures and people, and you know, it's God's creation is amazing to me.、Um, it's amazing that there are so many diverse and unique people and cultures and things in this world. And you know, I've I've not been to every country, but I've been to about 130 countries now, and really, it's largely been. On the back of the vehicle, a football. So you know, football for even in my own life has opened many doors to do different things. And the most important thing for me has been to serve as, I think, what the Bible calls an ambassador. You know, I, I think that followers of Jesus are ambassadors for the faith. And you know, really, my primary objective in my life is really just to give glory to God. In all the things that I do, and shine a light on who Jesus is, because that's who I I follow. You've mentioned how you got into football in the first place, how you went to Africa, how you got involved in coaching, how you became the owners of the Cleveland City Stars. Tell us a little bit about your journey to faith, how you became a follower of Jesus Christ, and why you made that decision. Yeah, I started to play with the U.S. national team when I was 14 years old. Um, obviously, it was the youth side, and you know. So from 14, we started to travel to different places: Europe, South America. And the honest truth is that growing up, soccer, football was my god. 
Um, I worship football, and, and I think there are, are a lot of people who could probably share a similar story um, and might even, you know, if they're honest, admit that <laughs> is the case in their life now. But that was certainly true for me. Growing up, I worshiped football. It was all I wanted to do. It was all I wanted to, to be as a footballer. And so when I got to university, uh, I won a, a particular award, which is quite a prestigious award in my first season. And I don't know why, but I thought when I won that award that life would kind of start to make sense to me. You know, this was at the time the culmination of what my dream was. And I guess for me, when I, when I achieved that measure of success, it was an awesome thing for two or three days. But then three days later, I kind of felt like, man, this, this void or this, this emptiness, like I thought that that achievement would fulfill or fill that, that hole I had in me, that void I had. And, and it did for three days. But on the fourth day, I woke up and I, it was back. And so that was the first time in my life that I thought, is there anything more than football? And honestly, I didn't believe that there was. But I decided to, to just kind of go on a search for, could there be something more than football? And I started to talk to different people, and I started to investigate um, faith. And, you know, I, I didn't grow up going to church, really, but I started to investigate the claims of Jesus. And the more I investigated the claims of Jesus, the more I came to believe and see and, and really um, now know that, you know, Jesus came to earth. He was fully God, but fully man, and sacrificed himself for me. So that I could have life and, and that life isn't dependent on uh, what I do or what I accomplish or what I achieve on the field. But it, it's really wholly connected to who Jesus is and what he has done for me. And so I guess when I was about 20 years old, um, I placed my faith in Jesus and, and the whole course of my life has changed. You know, I can confidently say I would have. I would have never gone to Africa if it hadn't been for Christ Jesus in my life. So, yeah, it's been a it's been a major thing in my life. Why is your faith so central to your life? You said football was the thing that you live for. It was your God at one stage. You're still passionate about football. We've heard about that. But why is your faith so central to your life? You know, uh, for me, um, it's like I said, I spent the first 20 years of my life building my identity on my performance on the football pitch. And that's a very difficult way to live. You know, it's, it's great when you win. It's great when you score the goal or you, you know, in my case, you, you save the shot that wins the match. The problem is that you don't always score the goal and you don't always win the match. And so when you build your identity on something that is shifting, something that is up today and down tomorrow, it creates a very instable foundation for your life. And I think that's what I experienced in my own life that, you know, I was always, I wouldn't describe myself as an anxious person, but there was a measure of anxiety that I experienced because my identity, it weighed in the hands of whether we were going to win the match and how I performed. And so when I came to know God through his son, Jesus, 
you know, the Bible describes that our identity isn't based on things that we can do or things that we say or things that we, we hope to be. Our identity can be formed and shaped and rooted in God. And that changed everything for me. It didn't change for me my passion for football. It didn't change my love for people. It didn't change a lot of things. But it changed the purpose for which I was living. And so now I shifted my focus to living for the glory of God that other people might experience what I have experienced. I've experienced this complete freedom and this this new peace that I never knew because my identity is not based on what I can do, but it's based on who I know, and that's Jesus. That's Aaron Treadway, an American who played as a goalkeeper in three African countries, speaking to Adrian Barnard. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production. And now let's focus on European football. Stuart Weir joins us, not from the UK this week, but from Doha in Qatar. Qatar, of course, is hosting the 2022 World Cup. Uh, Stuart, firstly, your impressions of the city? Well, I'm at the World Disability Athletics. That's the athletics for wheelchair, blind amputees and so on. The temperatures in the stadium at 9 o'clock in the morning can be as high as 35 degrees Celsius. And for me, that is just impossible to deal with. I can't imagine what it's like for the runners and indeed, therefore, what it will be like for the footballers. Because if it's 35 degrees at 9 o'clock in the morning, imagine what it's like at midday and in the early afternoon where they will certainly be playing some of the games because they're always spread over the day for television. It's difficult to have a real impression of Doha. Everywhere you go is a building site. You know, there's so much construction work going on. I suppose being an oil-producing country, petrol is very cheap and everyone has a car. Uh, There are horrendous traffic jams all the time. They're all large cars. And for some reason, most of the cars are white. Well, fascinating. So really hot uh, in Qatar. So they'll be hosting the World Cup in November and December in 2022 when uh, temperatures will be a bit cooler there. Well, it's been uh, interesting times in the uh, English Premier League, Stuart. Uh, Maybe let's just uh, start with a quick word about Chelsea because they just keep on losing and losing. Five defeats in 10 games now. What do you make of what's happening there? Well, I don't know what to make of it. And frankly, I don't think Jose Mourinho knows what to make of it either. It's extraordinary. You know, Chelsea don't normally lose five games in a season. And they've lost five and we're still in October. You know, they're just losing to teams that they would normally beat easily. Mourinho seems to be losing it. I think that the owner Abramovich will actually have patience with him because he recognises that if you fire him, who are you going to get to replace him? Last time he fired Mourinho, he went through a succession of managers, none of which were as good. But, you know, it's just very surprising because last year Chelsea were head and shoulders above everyone else. People expected them to be the same this year and it simply hasn't happened. Well, it's bizarre. I know there's a lot of heartbroken Chelsea fans uh, all around Africa. Now, looking at uh, some of the African performances uh, last weekend, um, historic as the Ghanaian Ayu brothers, uh, Jordan and Andre, both scored on opposing sides. Yes, I doubt if there's ever been an occasion when two African brothers have scored in the same game, as you say, for opposite sides. Jordan got his first goal of the season for Aston Villa. 
uh, while his brother Andre, it was actually his fifth goal for Swansea because uh, he's been, been scoring very regularly for them having a great season. Now, another African in the news, for good and bad reasons, was the Senegalese Sadio Mane, who got a late equaliser for Southampton against Liverpool, but then managed to get a second yellow card in stoppage time, which, of course, meant he got a red card. He protested his innocence, saying that really two yellow cards were a pretty harsh decision by the referee, but it's a real disappointment for Southampton, who will obviously miss him in at least the next game. And just like to mention three young Africans who are beginning to develop their career in the Premier League. We've mentioned once or twice Kelechi Aheanacho at Manchester City. And he came on as a substitute in the Manchester Derby at the weekend. And this is his sixth sub-appearance for Manchester City. And, you know, getting into the Manchester City side is no mean achievement. And the Ghanaian Baba Rahman at Chelsea came on, albeit only in the last five minutes. But again, he's showing that Chelsea have confidence in him. And good to see Clinton Jay of Cameroon getting his fifth sub-appearance for Tottenham. So always nice to see young, less experienced Africans being given a chance because one day perhaps they can develop into the next Drogba or Yaya Torre. And uh, Clint and Jay got a start last week for Tottenham in their Europa League match. And uh, looking at a European club competition, the UEFA Champions League is in full flow. At the halfway stage now is the group stage. And um, Stuart, there's around about 60 African players uh, in the Champions League. I was amazed to discover this, and I suppose it was watching Sidhu Dumbia from Cote d'Ivoire scoring for CSKA Moscow against Manchester United last week that that started me thinking. And, of course, Africans have a rich history in the Champions League. You know, you can think back to 2008 when Samuel Eto'o scored for Barcelona. He did it again the following year for Barcelona as they beat Manchester United. And then the following year he had moved to Inter Milan and played in a winning side for them. And, of course, Didier Drogba scoring the equalizer and the winning penalty when Chelsea beat Bayern. So, you know, it's nothing new to have Africans in the Champions League, but I was just quite amazed to discover that this season more than 60 Africans from 20 different countries have played in the Champions League. And, you know, it's almost like the disparate. There's Africans playing in 27 European countries. Cape Verde, Madagascar, Equatorial Guinea, even Zimbabwe. Hey, Steve, do you know who the Zimbabwe is who's played in the Champions League this year? Yes, absolutely. This Costa Namo Inesu. Uh, very proud of him. He's a defender playing at Sparta Prague in the Czech Republic. Very good. I wasn't sure you'd know that one. But, you know, some of these Africans, you know, are playing for Chelsea and Man City and Roma and Paris Saint-Germain. But they're also in Kazakhstan, Malta, Albania, Israel, Slovakia, Moldova. And I just thought it'd be interesting over the next few weeks just to have a quick look at where some of these Africans have finished up and, you know, what contribution they're making. Let's just look briefly at the Ivorians. Now, there have been eight Ivorians who've played, and they're very much playing at the top level. Obviously, Wilfred Bonney and Yaya Torre at Manchester City, and Manchester City could go a long way in the Champions League. They seem to be getting the hang of it. Of course, we've got Serge Aurier at Paris Saint-Germain, another strong team. 
and Gervinho, of course, who played a long time at Arsenal, now playing for Roma. We mentioned Dombia, who scored against Manchester United for CSKA. And then there's Konati at Sparta Prague and Sanogo at Young Boys in Switzerland. So there's just one example. There are actually 15 Nigerians, and we'll perhaps have a look at you know, where the Nigerians are. And one other thing which I found really interesting was that there are little colonies of African players at certain clubs in quite obscure places. It seems that you know, having taken the risk to take an African player, they say, well, actually, this is working quite well. We'll perhaps have one or two more. And I know also there have been situations where they have worried about an African being a little bit homesick and so therefore have signed two at the same time so that they can encourage each other. I think this could be really interesting and, you know, we'll just look at where some of the Africans are. And, hey, if you're listening in Gambia or Cape Verde or Madagascar, just communicate with us and tell us who your player is and how you think he's doing. Well, thanks a lot, Stuart, and we'll continue that look at the African players in the UEFA Champions League next week. And indeed, if you want to send us a WhatsApp about the Champions League, the number is plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, that's it for the show for this week, but on Facebook and WhatsApp, tell us who do you think will win the CAF Champions League as USM Algier of Algeria take on TP Mazembe of DR Congo. Who do you think will win? Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. We'll go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. And don't forget our website. It's planetsportfootballafrica.com. You can listen to each week's current show there. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashoms in South Africa, and from Stuart Weir in Qatar. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a Passion for Sport production.